Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Product. All right. I'm Zach Darnell, your usual host. And joining me for this show was Adam Scroggin. Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am an engineering manager for SCP. Uh, I've been building products for over 20 years in different spaces like uh, embedded firmware, uh, mobile apps, websites, and I uh, also run a little SaaS company called Cardboard It uh, that does user story mapping uh, on the internet. So it's like a, a digital whiteboard. Oh, I love that. I'm sure that's so helpful in this time during uh, during the pandemic. Absolutely. We've gotten a lot of new customers during the uh, pandemic. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for being my co-host. And I know, uh, you know, our guest, Dwayne Musser, who's uh, an engineering leader at Double Map here in town. Uh, I believe you guys have worked together in the past. Yeah. So you, you, this was not a new relationship for you. No, uh, we've uh, worked together a couple of times on a couple of different projects for a couple of different companies. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you joining me for this one. So uh, before we dive into uh, our chat with Dwayne, uh, I thought we'd kind of set the stage. You know, the the conversation we had with him was interesting. He's had, you know, a, a, a multitude of different uh, experiences working for huge enterprise all the way down to very scrappy bootstrap startups. And, you know, that experience, I think, has given him an interesting lens into uh, the engineering practices at, at technology companies, you know, w- you know, what were some of the things that you felt were, were interesting or compelling in our conversation? Um, I thought it was uh, interesting that uh, at smaller companies, you had his experiences at smaller companies, you know, you kind of just had to pick something up yourself. There wasn't another department to rely on. You didn't mm. file a, a ticket with another group and have them take care of it. So there was a lot of, um, accountability and responsibility to take care of stuff uh by yourself and then on like i like i said on the flip side at the bigger companies um that are more regulated um he mentioned you know he got to dive deeper and and to focus in on a niche and really get to learn a very uh specific thing go very very vertical um yeah as easy at, at a smaller company that's true. You know, my own personal experience at smaller companies, you do typically need to wear many hats. Um, and it's easy to, you know, have those vertical silos at large companies. I, I, I share the same thoughts there. You know, what did you think about his, uh, you know, no matter where you're at, this idea and philosophy of nurturing, nurturing culture being really, really important, especially for an engineering practice? Yeah, culture is a... Uh... It's a very difficult thing to describe at times, but you know it when you see it. You know a good culture when you see one, and you know bad culture when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's interesting that you just don't set a culture and then forget about it. Um, it's something that you constantly have to nurture. He mentioned, or else it just kind of erodes and, and yeah. evolves into something maybe that you don't want it to be. Um, I think it was also interesting uh, about having good vision being set uh, that made it easier for teams to know what direction to move into, um, what they needed to care about, and that helped uh, drive culture also. Yeah, that's a good point. The uh, you know one point he talked about, um, I don't know if he used these words exactly. These these are my words. This idea of stress versus a sense of urgency. You know, it's it's unhealthy. Uh, to be stressed out a lot of times to people either uh, procrastinate because they're overwhelmed or maybe not challenged enough, but a small sense of urgency can kind of help people get into this, you know, quote unquote flow state. You know, I wonder, you know, have you ever experienced anything, you know, in in some of your past projects, working with some, uh, some of your, your own folks around uh, uh, finding that balance between, that sense of urgency versus stressing, stressing anybody out? That's a good question. Um, I definitely have sensed urgency um, from customers of mine throughout the past, you know, trying to get things done in a reasonable mm-hmm. amount of time or trying to hit a deadline. Um, I think the stress part comes into how you as an individual react to that urgency. Mm. Uh, some people do rather well. Um, they listen, they understand the constraints, and then they work their best to meet those constraints. Uh, some people, you know, will take on un- unhealthy habits and try to take on more of a workload, work longer hours, uh, you know, mm-hmm. really stress themselves to try to, to meet a, a deadline or an expectation of a customer. So I think the yeah, urgency a, is usually set point. by, you know, stakeholders, uh, clients, people you're working for. And the stress is really how you as an individual um, take on that urgency and how you mentally and physically react to it. So, uh, you know, another thing that Dwayne was talking about, uh, you know, was mentorship. You know, um, you talk and make a really good point about, um, you know, an individual you know, being responsible for managing their, their stress level. You know, I wonder how mentorship and mentoring the next generation kind of plays into that. You know, what do you, what do you think there? Yeah. Mentorship is, uh, definitely, uh, it's a skill that, uh, takes some time to adjust to and to, um, get good at. Um, I think for myself, I still am lacking a little bit in that area and wish I could do a better job. I know it is one of my own personal goals to help the next generation and help those who are earlier in their career to better understand, um, I'll say the right way to do things, but the reasons why we do things. Uh, I am working with a, a, a newer engineer and it's been a great experience so far. I've gotten to learn from them quite a bit too about some type yeah. of things, but, uh, I, I've also been able to show them, um, some tricks of the trade, so to speak, and the reasons why uh, uh, we do it one way versus another. That's a really good, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I love that. And and I, I share the aspirations to always get better at mentoring the next generation. I think we can all learn how to do it better. Um, 
but you you make a good point that uh, that relationship is not necessarily a one-way street. It can be a two-way street when you're mentoring someone. I feel like oftentimes you're learning uh, new things maybe about yourself or about um, your work through that process. And that's really, really, I mean, that's a, that's a great relationship and a great dynamic. Um, to quote a James Bond movie, you know, age is no guarantee of results, but uh, youth is no guarantee of innovation. And I think it's this nice symbiotic relationship that can maybe tend to drive awesome results uh, in whatever it is that you're doing. And in our case, it happens to be, you know, building software products. I think that's really, really wise. Uh, and, you know, Adam, I really appreciate you joining me as a co-host for the show. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. We've got Adam Scrock and joining me from SCP. How's it going, Zach? Thank you for joining me for this one. And joining us as our guest is Dwayne Musser, uh, engineering manager for Double Map. How you doing, Dwayne? Doing well. How you doing, Zach? Doing well. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, we're going to dive into just talking about engineering practices as it pertains to building software products. And you've got such a diverse and uh, I'll say breadth of experience over your career that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into the differences and complexities and nuances, things that you've learned just in your career. To set the stage, would you mind giving everybody a, a quick background on you, kind of where you're coming from, what most of your experience is in and, and what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Um, so let's see, graduated from Rose Holman uh, many, many moons ago and uh, started off at a nice small company uh, doing eGov work uh, for NIC. Uh, we're, after several years, moved into working for a medium-sized insurance company. So going from that Wild West to the very, very structured, off to another uh, finance company, uh, Odessa along the way. I've worked at Harmon International, um, which was really neat to go from the big web uh, universe, bringing it back down to doing embedded software, which entirely different mindset, different set of people, different set of thoughts. And then uh, back up to Blackboard. Uh, around the same time, I also ended up with an engineering management degree, also from Rose. So took that, went into management at Blackboard and continued that on through uh, DoubleMap. Oh, very cool. And uh, you've been with DoubleMap for what, the last two years or so? Going on, yeah. Uh, okay, so you, you mentioned something that I didn't know about you. You say engineering management from Rose Hallman? Yes. What was that like? That was uh, an interesting, interesting program. Um, there was a lot of different aspects. Of course, I took uh, some software engineering classes to further that along. But a lot of other uh, classes really just to do with um, how to build better teams, how to build better cultures, how to manage projects and processes. So a lot of stuff that applies both to software and to just engineering in general. Oh, very cool. So, I, I didn't know that was a program. That's, that's new to me. What did you find the, the biggest challenge from going from a technical role into a management role what what was the biggest challenge for you 
probably one that most people will say, which is uh, giving up control, you know, being not being able to control things and learning to move to a situation where influence and those people skills come into play way more often than being able to just sit down and knock something out that you know you can do pretty quickly and trusting others to do that. So getting over that, which is something I think I had sort of picked up along the line, you know, just growing through my career. But when you're officially like, nope, I'm not going to touch the code, you know, walk away from it. It's uh, it was kind of a, a shock at first. Yeah, I can uh, relate. Uh, I remember early in my career, I was strictly just doing software, writing software, and then made my way into management too. And, and I can totally relate. It's uh, backing away from the code and, and trusting others to uh, understand your vision or understand the direction that you want to want to go in. So you've worked both in small, large, and government. I mean, you, you really have, have kind of run the gambit for the most part. What would you say is uh, the things that you like about working for small companies, things that you like about working for large companies? We'll focus on the pros to start with. If I had to go look back, I mean, I don't think I could have asked for a better first job. Coming out of school, you know, I have this, that, I've learned these theories. But, you know, I walked into a job with like uh, six engineers and if something needs done, you do it. It's, it's not like, oh, that's write a ticket, send it to another department, somebody will do it. It's like, no, you do it. So having that kind of, I don't want to say pressure in a negative way, but that really teaches you and forces you to learn. And someone like me who like learning is like the ultimate goal, it's great to have that experience. But on the big side, you do get to step back and stop worrying about some of the other things and focus on doing something well. So I know uh, working for the first insurance company I did, um, you know, just getting in there and seeing there's a billion moving pieces to this system to make everything work. And it's like, okay, here's my niche. I can make a positive impact by making a piece better and just really getting to dive deep into that and say, okay, this is how I can make this better. And this uh, role I took on was kind of a, um, third tier, fourth tier support. So we were mm. working on existing products, enhancing and growing the products, but helping lead that team, a cross-functional team of engineers um, to make things happen. And this is after customers have seen it. This is code that's been live. So everything you do comes from the knowledge of it worked like this. It didn't work for people. So now we can do it better. Uh, that's interesting. You you touch on something that I, I I personally talk about a lot. This this idea of stress versus sense of urgency, especially in like a smaller company where you might wear more hats or uh, every day maybe has a larger impact to the overall success of the company versus working for somebody that or a larger company at least. Um, and I always I always tell people I think sense of sense of urgency is healthy. Stress can at least sustainably is not very sustainable at the same time. Um, so it's kind of funny you bring that up. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, let's, let's flip it. Same question, but thinking about things that aren't as nice working for a smaller company, maybe versus a larger company. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, working for a small company, 
yeah, you have the benefit of learning, but you also have the responsibilities that come with that. Mm. So uh, those aren't necessarily a bad thing, but it does yield a lot more effort. And if you're not the kind of person who really wants to take on some of that, it's not always, you know, the best fit. So um, some of the benefits really you can find some good benefits at small companies, but you know, of course they don't compare to having some sure. of the nice benefits you get at a big company. So yeah. uh, I know from an engineering point of view, I'm really trying to focus in on what the difference is here. And I'm kind of drawing a, a blank because the problems I think have just always been related more to the problem space and mm. the company size really hasn't been, as big of an impact as you might, as I expected, at least. Yeah. One of the things that, um, I know that you're, you're very passionate about mentorship training, bringing up the next generation. You know, one of the things that I, I I've always wondered is, is that directly, is there any direct relationship to the size of the company? Is it more the philosophy of the leadership of the company, the way that the culture is built, things like that, that more impacts that idea of mentorship, of learning, of, uh, maybe bringing up the next generation. You know, I think it really does go back to leadership and culture more than it does the size of the organization. Um, there's obviously, if everyone is stressed and no one has time to really think about doing things right and working with people, you're not going to get it. But if you work in a sustainable uh, level of urgency, mm. you know, that, you still get that. I mean, some people really want to make things happen and you run into people that like to make things happen and like-minded people who want to make things happen. They have open discussions and I've learned many things at small companies uh, from people both in engineering and outside of engineering, just because you get a chance to see it firsthand, talk to people who are living it. And um, in big companies, you have a lot more access to more formal things getting away to uh, larger meetings, getting away to training, getting, you know, college classes and stuff, which is great. And you have lots of smart people, but you may not always have that sense of duty to make sure everyone is doing well, because when everyone is four people, you don't have room for a weak link. What's it like uh, working for maybe a startup or a smaller company where the culture isn't quite set yet and you're a part of the process of booting it up? I wish I had a good answer to that. I would say it's uh, fun. I know uh, right now I have a little side gig going on here where we get to do that. We're getting to pick what we care about and what we want in engineers. And as I'm helping find other people to move this project along, it's just like, you know, this is what I expect. Uh, this is what we need as far as culture goes is fun. Um, but it's also at the same time a chance to learn because I don't believe anything's ever static and set. It's always moving and flowing. So being able to help drive the culture we want through the eyes of the people who have to live it and actually pulling it from each individual, but making sure it's consistent so that we all have the same goal. Yeah, it can be hard to describe, but it's very easy to pick up on what what a culture for a company is. Yeah, I yeah, like I really like that sentiment. Yeah, um, we've been going through that a lot at uh, 
this uh, main gig I have now at Double Map, uh, we've came in. I came into one small culture, and uh, the company's since been acquired, and you know, the com- the culture's changed, and not in a bad, not in it, you know, any negative way. It's just things change, and you know that has to be part of it. But taking time to make sure that there's room for culture and that the culture is staying positive is great. Uh, One conversation I've had recently was very much just because a culture is good, if you're not taking time to nurture it, it's going to eventually erode. So making sure you're tending to any culture that you want to motivate, always watching, rewarding the things that, you know, make the culture great, you know, not allowing things that may, you know, hamper that, you know, getting into really negative situations, having toxic people, you know, if you keep that around and if you're not watching for it and being vigilant, that could ruin an otherwise good culture. So I think building it is fun because it's interesting to really get to own that and maintaining it is a very important job for all leaders title or not. And it, it's interesting you bring up, you know, Double Maps acquisition. Obviously, you've been there prior, you know, since prior to that. You know, what have you seen, you know, in the last couple of years as uh, you kind of moved, you know, head of engineering for Double Map, and then, you know, going through that acquisition, uh, still running that division, you know, from an engineering perspective. What have you seen impacted, you know, both both positive and maybe from a challenging perspective um, for your group? I'd say one of the most challenging things is resetting expectations. So uh, Double Map was a great company, bootstrapped by a few really smart guys, um, made a great name for itself in its market. Um, a bunch of very dedicated people made that work. The culture was definitely that of a very aggressive company. So taking that and level setting and resetting expectations to a culture where you have room to make and focus on culture and product and actually building a large organization that has room to scale, to make mistakes, to do things along the way. It's, it, I've seen a lot of people look at that as a bit of a challenge. Um, hopefully starting to become more clear that it's okay to be a good engineer and to learn and grow. And it's not about, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next. But the great things are working with many more talented people. I mean, just having people who care about culture and care about building great products is awesome. How do you balance this idea of, as an engineer, this is the right way to build it, or I would prefer to build it this way because it's, it's quote unquote right versus, well, guys, we got two weeks to get this thing stubbed in. We really need to get heads down and make it work. How have you balanced those conversations with your folks or even just for yourself? My initial instinct is to say poorly, but uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's probably not the right answer. Um, um, no, it is a very tough decision and it's ongoing because when you're chasing that first thing, you're ch- trying to do something new, you're trying to be the first at something, it's very much, okay, what can we do that's viable? And I mean, to put it in words, uh, 
I know SCP is awesome here. I got to see that uh, talk by Jeff Patton you guys had last fall, which was great. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it was like, you know, what can we put out there that's not just a sampling, but actually viable for a customer to use? And then yeah. saying, okay, walk away. Uh, for me, to find that decision really is put something up there and see what somebody uses. So it is very much going back to some agile principles of uh, what is the minimum that they will use and can say, yeah, it did something. We, uh, for example, added in a uh, chat feature into our platform for players to be able to communicate with each other to talk about upcoming games or anything like this. Um, the first version was, you know, really almost a fairly barely modified version of, you know, a tutorial online. So that's not what you call quality code, but it put it in front of people. <laughs> it's like, will someone click on this? Hey, they sure. did click on it. Okay. Let's put some thought behind it. Now, what do we want it to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, we're on iteration five now of this chat feature now. And I've actually are using a real chat, you know, third party to help us provide this tool to people because it was deemed that, hey, people are looking at this and they want these features and this makes it easier for us to do this work. So being able to put something out there that at least fits a use case that, you know, people are going to look at and saying, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be right for now. And, um, taking that approach. Uh, when I look back at this, you know, there's all kinds of fun things. It's like, I would never want to trust anyone to ever look at that code because I would not want to see that code again in the future, but it did what it needed to do. So, um, the only thing you can do is start with, you know, what is your minimum? What as an engineer are you willing to live with? And there are some things that you can be flexible about things like building in quality. The more you practice, the better you get at it. So it's easy to do upfront because it's just habit, you know, really work on it. I'm going to implement this, you know, the minimum I'm going to put in here. I'm not going to write this code without having good logging in here because I have to support this code. I have to write code that can be deployed easily because guess what? I'm expecting it to break. So I want to be able to fix it and release it quickly. Uh, Making those decisions is a lot easier when you know the outcomes of things are going to go wrong. It may not be perfect. So I'm going to take the little extra time to make it easy on myself to continue to move forward and give myself the room to continue to iterate as opposed to trying to say, well, I'm going to make a perfect UI, get it out there and just find out no one cares. And for this uh, chat feature that you built, how are you able to gain insight and feedback from your users that they liked the feature and they were wanting more from it? Uh, the initial feedback was really just, did they use it? And, you know, we could just easily see that, yeah, we're gathering all these messages and people are using it to communicate. People are very vocal. Uh, we work with a lot of teenagers who were way more than vocal about what they do and don't like. <laughs> so we got very lucky to be able to uh, get feedback unsolicited about how things worked. And then uh, an excellent guy I work with, Sean Smith, I mean, he, he can look at something and he just understands the user. And he's like, this is what I expect. 
And if you ever have a startup, have somebody who can have that understanding of your customer. I guess that's any place you work because that is immensely valuable, um, especially if you're an engineering type and want to default back to just doing everything that is uh, links compatible HTML. I'm kind of curious, you know, Adam, you, um, you run uh, a product company as your side hustle at SCP uh, cardboard. I would imagine, especially a former engineer uh, who also kind of runs the product of that product and kind of sets direction. How do you balance some of that? I think with today's technologies, uh, especially with the web, it's so easy to iterate, um, with things like continuous integration, uh, we use Heroku and a build server called Semaphore CI. Uh, we have people pushing changes up. Uh, we merge them into master. We deploy them uh, quite easily with all of our unit test running and passing. Uh, we then collect analytics, uh, listen to user feedback through a platform that we use called Intercom. Mm -hmm. And uh, we learn, you know, we learn are we ready to take the next step or the next iteration of this feature? Uh, we just recently added a feature called connectors that allows you to, to connect cards together, basically like drawing arrows between cards. And it was a tough feature. So we made some compromises and were more pragmatic with our implementation versus building the, the best robust solution at first. We wanted to get uh, usage information to make sure that our customers wanted it uh, before we made that next initial investment. Uh, so that's one thing I really love about web development and continuous integration, continuous deployment. Uh, with the tools today, the technology, it makes it really, really easy to um, get stuff out there quickly uh, that may not even be completely finished, collect feedback, iterate, and then just keep doing that cycle over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love the balance. You know, I feel like I've had, you know, tough conversations with folks. Um, I feel like it's hard for some people to kind of get that idea around, ah, it's not perfect. Well, we don't even know if people are going to really like this thing. Let's just get a concept out there and learn to both of your points. I, I love that. It's, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, Dwayne, you talk about Jeff Patton's talk last fall. It's very product focused um, and it really can help give you a better chance of success in the marketplace. Not there's never any guarantees, but it'll, it'll give you a better chance. You know, as we, as we kind of wrap up, Dwayne, the, the big thing that I want to ask you, you know, looking back over the last five years or so, if you could wave a magic wand over a period of time there, what would be the biggest takeaway from that time? Like what would be the thing that you would do over and how, and why would you do it over? I would say along the way, um, I picked up a level of hubris that I definitely regret um, starting to feel more confident in myself. And I feel one of my strengths is that I always want to learn and I never feel like I'm the best person in the room. And that drives me to make sure that I'm talking to everyone and learning from everyone. And as soon as I get to a point where I feel like I'm possibly the smartest person in the room or knows the most about something, I, I kind of went on a tangent for a little bit and I've done that a few times and I've looked back and said, that wasn't the right thing. I've noticed it, but just a little too late. Yeah. So, you know, talk before listening, but really as far as my career goes, I don't think anything I've done, I've enjoyed every bit of it. I've worked with so many great people 
um, over the last five years and over my career. And I mean, I'm just so grateful to just be where I am and having had the experiences I've had. I can't complain. So <laughs> a lot no, to complain great. about, but it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I know I, I share that sentiment. So I love that. You know, of course, there's things I wish I would have learned earlier in my career, but um, then again, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today if, without making those, you know, seemingly dumb choices. So at least for me, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Learning, making the bad mistake. Absolutely. It's always fun. <laughs> best stories. I think one of the best interviews I ever had was somebody asked me a question and I'm like, well... He was like, well, how does this work? And it's like, well, I'll tell you all the ways in which I would not do, or I forget the exact question, but I ended up spending 30 minutes just talking about why I did everything wrong. And somehow he's like, the interviewer was more impressed with me just being able to talk about how many mistakes I've made than, you know, how many things I've done right. And I'm like, I use that now because I think that's a good thing to judge people on is how have they learned, how have they grown and can, you know, how have they, uh, done that in life and i find that to be very good to be able to be humble and knit it's like okay yep i, I messed up here so well thank you so much for joining us thank you adam both of you this has been a fun show and um have a good rest of your day thanks guys thanks for having me it's been a been a blast <laughs>